Welcome to The Partnership Economy. This podcast explores the power of partnerships through candid conversations with industry leaders. Join our hosts, Dave Yovano, CEO, and Todd Crawford, co-founder of Impact.com, as they unpack the future of partnerships as a lever for scale and an opportunity to put the consumer first. Welcome back to the new season of The Partnership Economy. This is Todd Crawford, and I'm really excited to share the episode we have for you today. We've had so many insightful guests in season one, and we want to keep the momentum going by bringing more partnership experts into the conversation this season. Today's guest has been active in the partnership economy for nearly 15 years. Robert Glazer is the founder and board chair at Acceleration Partners, which is the largest independent affiliate and partnership marketing agency in the world. The company has received over 30 awards for its workplace culture. Robert hosts his own podcast called The Elevate Podcast and has over 200,000 subscribers to his newsletter called Friday Forward, present company included. We discuss some of the challenges of inflation, staffing shortages, and the remote working world we find ourselves in. And Robert shares why influencers and content marketers are outperforming paid search. Be sure to stick around to hear Robert's advice on how to become a great leader. This was a great conversation, and I hope you enjoy. Welcome to another episode of The Partnership Economy. I'm your host, Todd Crawford, and today I am joined by Bob Glazer, founder and chairman of the board at Acceleration Partners. Hey, Bob, how's it going? Hey, Todd, good to see you. Beautiful office you have there. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's in the metaverse. I moved. (laughs) Being this is the Partnership Economy podcast, I wanted to pick your brains today. But uh, before, let's just kind of level set. Why don't you tell us who you are? Uh, well, I'm Bob Glazer. I was the founder and now board chair of Acceleration Partners, a company I started about 14 years ago. We're now the largest independent affiliate and partner marketing agency in the world. We focus on large-scale, kind of global, complicated programs. And we've been, we've been doing that for, for a while. Yeah, no, I know you guys have had a lot of success. Um, we've kind of worked side by side along yeah. this journey of partnership. So um, yeah, it's great to see you guys um, winning and growing and succeeding. And uh, Yeah, we always say for both of us, five, five, five years ago, if you wanted to run a global program, you probably had five agencies and five networks or platforms, right? Now, you only need one agency and one platform if you pick the right one. So we can, we, <laughs> we continue to see that to be a strong value proposition as, you know, brands expand really quickly now, you know, around the world. I mean, the fastest growing part of our business is, hey, can you take what we're doing in one country into another country or into another product line or, or you know, on that, on that band? Yeah, I think kind of like, you know, looking at your services, and this has been a recurring theme in a lot of these podcasts is this center of excellence. So some companies have that internally where they help multiple business units or multiple geos replicate and get data and make good decisions. Agencies are playing that role as well. And I think that's kind of what you just illustrated. You know, hey, we're doing this in one geo. We want to do it in other geos. How do we not screw it up and and, and get the most traction? Yeah. And, and what look, some of the big misnomer is that these companies are global. You know, they are international. Like the person in the UK, it's their budget, their team, someone in the US, they do not want to be told what to do by the other region. But I think if you are someone that comes in with the experience and the support and the know-how, then there are opportunities there but but i've seen very few companies that operate fluidly globally with a single sort of budget or stakeholder yeah i mean we have our different geos you know europe 
Asia Pacific, you know, they have to have some autonomy and some connection, right? Some coordination, but it's definitely a struggle. Just the time zones alone make it yeah. challenging. Right? And look, if I was a vendor selling something to impact, right. And it was a really cool thing that they were going to use. It's probably not bought globally, right? The US team decides they like it. And then the UK team decides they like it. And so yeah, it, it is both a challenge and, and an opportunity. Uh, what we have seen, and I know I think you have seen this pretty consistently, and we get this message is that if you really want a global program, you cannot run a program, you know, out of country in most things. Like if you want to run a German program, you need people on the ground in Germany. And and I think people have tried to do that. I would say marketers are good at marketing, like, but this is one thing you really can't fake. Like you need, you need to have a presence in these markets in order to really build programs in these markets. Yeah. I think because of the relationship building and, and just the ability to talk to somebody is more important. Obviously when you're buying media through Meta or Google, you don't need to talk to anybody. It's a yeah. coin operated machine. You know, you plug some euros into them and, and get a couple of euros out, you're, you're doing fine. And, and you can do that from the United States. But partnerships need more of that native language and also just that that proximity to really maximize, I think, the results. Yeah, absolutely. I usually ask three questions, three or four questions in these uh, podcasts. So I'm going to start with my typical first one. What's top of mind for you right now? I mean, interesting, you know, watching the unwinding of the pandemic trade so violently, you know, over over two years and one month. So I think like everyone else, we're trying to understand, you know, what this means for our business. Where are people rotating? Where's the demand going to be? You know, we're still seeing, we're seeing a lot of, you know, demand shrink in some places and then a lot of it increase. I think we're moving away from that stay at home, fix your house, buy a car, probably to travel, get out, have experiences. You know, it just continues the seesaw of the last couple of years of that whatever, whatever you were doing six months ago isn't even relevant uh, to today. So, you know, we're, we're really trying to get our hands around that and understand, you know, who's going who's gonna to come out on top as part of that uh, secular shift. Yeah, it seems like travel and entertainment are, are are definitely coming back, but then you've got all this inflation and rising costs. Just getting on an airplane today is not as cheap as it was two years ago before the pandemic. So, you know, it's interesting. There's pent up demand, but then there's all this cost. You know, I think we wish the pandemic were over, but, you know, it just, you know, it comes Smart. and goes. It goes away, it comes back. I mean, Warren yeah. Buffett had one of my favorite quotes of all time. I, and I think we'll probably see this soon, but the cure for high prices is high prices, right? Eventually people start to make adjustments. They shrink back, they change the packaging. You know, it, it does feel like, you know, with some of the pullbacks, I mean, we were just talking like what's going on with crypto. I mean, I don't think people are going to feel as wealthy as they did <laughs> maybe even eight, eight weeks ago. It's hard to believe that won't impact spending or, or consumer sentiment in some way. Yeah, I mean, that's what the, the Fed's trying to do, right? Let's increase uh, the rates so that uh, it's more expensive to, to leverage debt and maybe that'll curb spending. But I think we're we're in for uh, uncertain times for an uncertain time. Amount, amount of time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is there anything else uh, top of mind right now or is that primarily it? No, I mean, we're also, uh, you know, we're very focused on, you know, 
moving towards this vision of a fully integrated partner marketing services firm. So, you know, we're looking, we completed an acquisition last week. Uh, we're continuing to look at a lot of opportunities and what are, what are additional products and services that our clients will want around the world. So I'm spending a lot of time at that looking, looking at businesses, looking at things that be a fit, where, where we should build, where we should buy. We're very busy executing on our, our three-year plan. Yeah, I think that's key to getting where you want to go. Seems like a lot of people just kind of go business as usual. And somebody somewhere in a company has to be looking forward and moving the company in in a direction where essentially you can grow. I mean, it's easy to stay where you are. And I have a lot of friends that have businesses and you know, those companies are relatively the same size year after year after year, which is comfortable and they make good money. But I think to grow the industry, you need to grow your business, you need to grow the industry and and you need to have that that vision beyond six months. Yeah. Look, particularly in the digital marketing realm, you can't be doing what you were just by the nature of it. If you're doing what you were doing five years ago, you've you've already been passed. <laughs> so I remember when we came into the industry, pe- people really felt like they had been doing the same thing for a while and just hadn't had a lot of competition. And very quickly, I saw a lot of those players disappear. So you know, our, our job is to do what Netflix has done really well and figure out a way to obsolete yourself before you know someone else someone else does it to you. All right. So what is keeping you up at night? Look, this is always endemic in services. It's kind of I always joke that you know the Nobel Prize, Peace Prize in Mathematics, will be given out to the person who saw self supply and demand in the service industry. Like we're used to these sort of sine waves, but the last couple of years have just been. Supply shock, demand shock, supply shock, demand shock. So for 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 myself and an organization that really likes to plan ahead and make good long-term decisions, it's been really... And then you throw COVID into that. It's been really hard to have to be so reactive and then execute on a long-term plan at the same time. So... I, you know, I, I, the best thing that could happen is the stock market goes up 1% next year, like, you know, rather than the negative 30, positive 30, you know, sort of whiplash. But I think that's, that's really the biggest thing for me is in terms of just really trying to balance, you know, what are short term realities? Cause sometimes if you ignore the short term, it becomes a real problem, right? Like right now you're, you know, a high tech company losing money without a lot of money on your balance sheet, like the the like that wasn't a problem nine months ago. That's a real problem, you know, right now. So we're always trying to balance, you know, looking forward and in the present. And it's but it has just been it has just been a whipsaw like the last <laughs> you know couple of years. I, I I think we're headed back now towards you know more of a demand problem than a supply problem after not, not everyone talking about labor and supply in six months. I mean, we've seen the labor market cool down, definitely seen turnover, you know, come down a lot. Um, and we're seeing early signs that, you know, a, a, who was driving that? A lot of those unprofitable tech companies, you know, calling your people and our people and offering them, you know, lots of money that's shifted. So that's the challenge for every business right now is kind of continuing to maintain this, this, this sort of wave while trying to execute on a, on, on a long-term plan. Yeah. I mean, those, those waves and ebbs and flows can, can become a real distraction, right? I mean, yeah. And, and like I said, I think most people day to day are focused on doing their job. It's maybe not even their role to, worry about anything other than that so it's it's the biggest challenges for the executives out there the leadership trying to to move the company forward and and you know that keeps me up at night as well i, I think of like hiring i mean we, we're 
we're getting bigger and bigger and we're, we've got a lot of open job wrecks and it, it just seems like there's no way you can fill all those jobs, no matter what, no matter how competitive you are or yeah. how exciting your company is or your, your culture. It's just a real challenge to, to find people and the right people, which is really always the challenge, but a lot of the right people is really hard. Yeah, and again, the pendulum swinging from a lot of company controlled, employee controlled, like it just it 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 makes it it makes it complicated. Yeah, it's everyone wants to find great people. Uh, They want to get them aligned around a vision, uh, and they want to get them focused on the on the long run. But you know, it's harder to do that when you've got shutdowns and just constant. I, I can't think of a more difficult time to to operate again than the last three years. And thinking about you know, entire cycles and how they move, you know, everything's open and then there's a wave and then they're closed again. I mean, you just really need to have your pulse on the, on the ground, you know, and, and at the same time that you're trying to move yourself towards whatever that next uh, frontier is. Well, you guys have always had a remote workforce, which I think coming out of the pandemic or going through the pandemic and coming out of the pandemic is really an advantage because a lot of companies are very, office centric um one location or multiple locations when we fell into that boat i guess or model and it's kind of weird like i'm in the office today and there's less than 10 people here in this office can support over 100 and it's just people don't want to go back to work i know there's people within five miles of this office that are just working from home they feel comfortable there now they're like re-acclimated to away from this office environment it's kind of weird. Like I see Apple's struggling, right? Like they're mandating two yeah. or three days a week. Doesn't seem to have worked that well to, to tell people to come back into the office or that they have to, right? I think it's early still because, you know, they get these waves of these variants and they're more contagious, but maybe not as high a hospitalization rate. And some people still don't want to be vaccinated maybe. So, you know, getting people into an office is still a little bit of risk. It feels like, right? Yeah. And, and, and the question is, there's definitely stuff that's better in person. For example, offsites, like team offsites and strategy sessions. And, you know, I, you can even imagine certain types. There's certain days when I need to sit down and work on a document for six hours. And there's other time where we need to go through a new product strategy that really we could benefit from sitting in a room for an hour. So I think trying to be really thoughtful about not being dogmatic around a, a, a like, a specific policy or other, again, we're in office or we're blowing up the office, but like, what are the activities where in-person collaboration makes sense? And what are the ones where they don't? Again, for me to travel into an office, let's say it's the day before a board meeting, and for me to travel in an office and put my heads down and not talk to anyone and work on a deck for eight hours, like it probably doesn't make a lot of sense. To lead a new hire onboarding training, maybe a, a lot of sense to do an offsite. So I think there's a lot of people trying to like, you know, rather than focusing on what actually makes sense. And a lot of employees who've said, look, my their company had record earnings and did great. And while they were working from home and they frankly had flexibility, but not a lot of places to use it. I said, anyone who liked uh, working from home during the pandemic, like you don't even really understand half the value of the flexibility remote. I mean, you couldn't go anywhere. Your kids were in school in the other room. Uh, you know, you couldn't go meet your friend at the gym for lunch. So yeah, I, I think it's smart to think about like what actually makes sense for each business. And I think it is different for each business, right? Obviously, you got some businesses where you're making something, you're manufacturing something, and and other ones where there are certain points of collaboration where it's going to make sense to get together. And then there's other times where 
uh, everyone's crunching on something and it might not need to be in the office together for that. Yeah, it's going to be interesting, you know, when the, I guess all this dust finally settles, you know, what a work environment really will be. I mean, I, I'm pro hybrid or remote more now than before, but I still enjoy being in an office. I really yeah. do. I enjoy interacting. With I like people. people. I like, again, I, you know, again, yesterday I was marking up a book draft for six hours. Like I needed quiet on that, but there are other days when I really enjoy it. So I, I don't think it's going to be one or the other. I, I, I think the thing that's going to stay is flexibility. I, I think, I don't think there's going to be a lot of demand for jobs with rigidity. Look, it's going to be interesting for some of the companies. If you're a 24 year old or you're going to school and you could do something that a job that's going to, Offer offers you, you know, you pick one thing where it offers you flexibility and the other requires being in person by the nature of what that role is. Supply and demand are pretty powerful uh, forces. Um, as, as, as Mark Cuban said, he's talking about this in terms of cryptocurrency. He said supply and demand are undefeated, right? And so I think if you have much more of a workforce looking for flexibility, you know, companies that are offering rigidity are going to find that that's not really super valued in the marketplace. The transition from in-office to remote work or hybrid work is going to be different from company to company and maybe even from employee to employee as things evolve post-pandemic. Finding what works for your staff is going to take some experimentation. And as I said, I still like coming into the office for some of that in-person FaceTime. Next, we'll hear why Bob believes partnerships and influencers will continue to grow and outpace some of the other digital marketing channels. All right, well, let's shift gears a little bit. Let's talk about industry dynamics. What's going on in this partnership economy that's got your attention? That's uh, what kind of industry dynamics? To me, it's just the convergence of seeing the growth in, in influencer and, and people interested in doing more stuff on a hybrid or performance basis, on, on B2B, on channel partnerships, on all the different types of things that fell outside of, I think, the you know traditional affiliate marketing umbrella. Um, I think that continues to be a trend. I mean, I the, the main... And then what's driving it is... And you alluded to this earlier. I, I don't get off of a call any day. I mean, I heard it twice this morning where someone was talking to our clients and they're just, they're just not making money anymore in sort of paid search, paid social, the stuff that that's formed the you know, the the basis of their marketing portfolio, it's just not working anymore. We talk about inflation in the economy. I mean, inflation in digital marketing, there's been a lot of liquidity uh, in, in, in that market. So that's a real big fundamental shift. Uh, the amount of CEOs have told me that the way they built their business and the channel they used in the last five years would not work today. And so I think that's pushing people towards uh, new and different solutions. Yeah, I've been really excited about how partnerships have expanded and it's it's different for different brands, but in general, this kind of leaning in now because Google and Meta, I mean, both of them year over year increased around 70%. And that's not to talk about the increases the year before that. And it basically, it's a coin-operated machine and you've got all your eggs in two baskets. And I think once they see how partnerships work and the value they provide, and you don't have to sit there and constantly plug those machines you know, with money or it goes away. I think, you know, to me, that's what's really been exciting is seeing the results. And even five, 10 years ago, where suddenly partnerships are outperforming. And that, that to me is when you, know, you realize it's, 
it's it's really something material that companies need to get a handle on. Like, what does it mean for them, and how much are they willing to invest? Because the other side of this is just that there's more investment up front before it pays off, right? Like, I can't yeah. come to you as a partner and hand you a bag of money and you can me back two bags of money tomorrow. Kind of like organic search was, which I think always outperformed paid search if you were willing to be patient and do the work and invest and, you know, plant, plant and harvest. I don't know. There's something philosophical around that is that the things that are, are easiest to do off, you know, usually have the least competitive advantage. Yeah. I mean, if you sell e-bikes, you could create all kinds of great content, how to things you didn't know about e-bikes, you know, how to fix them, how to service them, what, what kind you should get, all that content that customers find valuable. And today, Google's not going to rank you as an advertiser. You're not getting that ranking still organically. They want you to pay. Instead, they're ranking all of these content commerce publishers that are actually writing these reviews and recommendations yeah. and how-to guides. So, you know, it's interesting because before brands could rely on their own content marketing to get them good organic ranking. And I, I'm seeing it go away. I mean, you know, I always use on all these podcasts, top five chef knives. If you type that in, the only brands you see on the first page are the paid search. Everything else is content commerce publishers. Yeah. The, the, all the organic. Look, the ethos of, of Web3 is, is more control from the creators, decentralization. Um, you know, when you see something like, you know, Instagram come out with the influencer platform and say, oh, well, build it on our platform and do it with us. I think there's a lot of hesitancy around that. People are like, look, we've, we've seen this before. So then it works for us. And then you double the price and we've done everything on your platform. And then where does that, where does that leave us? So I think this ethos of, of you know, the, one of the things of Web3, the more direct control, you know, more owning your own ecosystem, owning your own partnerships, you know, not, 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 not building your, I mean, a lot of the folks who've built their brand from a creator standpoint on these platforms realize like it's not portable from there. So I think that th those are a lot of the changes that we're going to see. And I think people are going to want a little more, more control. Well, I think the other thing side of the coin there is that consumers are more in control too, right? They're the ones yeah. they're, they're listening to influencers, friends, families for recommendations. They're also doing their own research now. And that content is invaluable. They're not, no one's clicking on an ad because they typed in best e-bike and they're going to click on the top paid search ad and go buy right. an e-bike. It's too big of a considered purchase. There's a lot of information they need to get and an ad is not going to convince someone to buy. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting times. Like people value more what someone else says about the brand than trusting the brand talking about the brand. In some cases, that may not be right, uh, or the person may be, you know, a little too, you know, closely tied. But it is very different uh, time where it used to be you talked about yourself and you told everyone about yourself, and now it's, you know, you let the community talk about you and you let them see the product, and you know, there's there's more authenticity in that. So I think how people buy is changing, where they're buying is changing, and you know, again, I think that's going to be a big change to marketing in terms of how you then get in front of that customer or potential customer, you know, where, where they are. It, in some ways, it's almost going back to 15 years ago where you take context and you put advertising against it. Right. So, you know, Todd, you're, you're, you know, looking for a, a car and you're looking for a 
high-end SUV. And so BMW serves you an ad rather than Todd's on a sports diet. And because I know Todd is a, you know, handsome, you know, whatever 40-year-old guy, and I have you know, his whole profile here, then I'm serving him an ad for the auto, you know, even though he's not doing anything related to it. And I don't think people realize that that's been what's been going on the last couple of years is their ads have nothing to do with where they are. It's just sort of owning their profile and then going and finding the cheapest place where they can kind of put up a sign in front of it rather than you're on a sneaker blog review site talking about the coolest sneakers that come out this year. And then after they say that the Nike, whatever sneaker is great, they offer you a link to buy it from a shoe store. Like just that, that's a very logical, non-invasive <laughs> advertisement. Right. Well, the way I look at it is, you know, most people don't trust ads and, but they trust these content sites where they've written a, a review and a recommendation. And so because I, as a consumer, I trust that publisher and now they are linking to that advertiser. It kind of transfers that trust to that advertiser that way, as opposed to, you know, now I'm just seeing in my feed, you know, this brand that, that also wants me to buy from them even after I've already bought, you know, which, which really just, you know, is almost like the nail in the coffin on this whole advertising uh, uh, problem. It's yeah. I mean, the retargeting, over the re, yeah, the retargeting stuff and the amount of times I've said something to my wife at a table and talked about it, or she did it on her phone and our phones are near each other. And then, you know, I'm seeing the ad like, you know, the day later, like it just, it's just a little creepy. I know. I hear you. I and look, you. we're out. People are out there looking for stuff. They're interested in stuff. They're telling you their intent. So why not match up, you know, the intent with things that are relevant for them? And look, this is what's been interesting to publishers too, right? Years ago, we'd go to publishers. You and I had talked to them, like do stuff on a performance. Now oh, we're getting these CPMs, you know, to, for running these ads. Well, that just absolutely collapsed. But what was interesting was some publishers realized we can make more money rather than just running the machine that targets people with irrelevant ads and getting a cut of that. What if we actually merchandise stuff or thought about what we were showing people and got paid a higher premium on that? And, and the folks who, who jumped in early to that found that they could even make more money being a merchandiser and you know thinking about what actually made sense to put in front of customers. Yeah, helping customers make decisions, informing them, entertaining them. That's what these sites do best. And now they've got a whole bunch of content that not only does that, but lists that ranks so well organically. I mean, that's that's free traffic. You know, it's free traffic for the brand, it's free traffic for the publisher. So that's where you get away from this coin-operated machinery and you start having this kind of sustainable, sustainable presence, is kind of how I look at it. Yeah, I mean, one of our favorite quotes from my things from the book that that we wrote, Moving to Outcomes, was um, there was an economist who did a study of, of you talking about the auction effect and how people get pulled into the auction effect and just over overbid, right? It's one thing to overbid, like it's one thing if it's like amorphous value, right? And 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 it just like a sports team, like there's not, I mean, there's not a clean market for that. Like you want it for four billion and you have four billion, you know, then you buy it. It's more like Art, but you know, there's other things that have much more specific commodity value. So they looked at eBay, I think it was seven or eight years ago. You know, eBay's got an auction side of their site and they got a fixed price side of their site. And they looked at a whole bunch of products and they were selling for average of I think 70% more on the auction site than on the fixed price site, which 
which makes no sense. Uh, but that that's what happens when you get caught up in in in, in auction pricing. Yeah, and that, you're right. That's what's happening with the way you buy media today, right? It's, it's just it's oh, a my bit competitors up. at a dollar or something. I'm just a dollar five, and then they go to a dollar six, and then I'm not going to lose. I'll go to a dollar seven, and the only problem is this: my profit. I determined that my profit to stop making money after seventy cents, right? Yeah, I think there's this whole. It's almost like the fear of missing out when you're advertising. Like if you're not in the results or not being shown, you you feel like you're missing something, and so then you're like. I'll pay more. Same with an auction. I want that so bad that I'll overpay for it. You know, I, I can't tell you the time number of times over the past few years where someone said to me, "Well, we need to do that because so and so is doing that, or they're there, or they're on that site." And it's like, do you know that they're not losing money? <laughs> wouldn't that wouldn't that be a good thing? To, you know, I remember years ago in commission, like our commissioner and our competitors are all paying commissions of X, Y, and Z. I'm like, that seems really high. And then you know. Six months later, we were asked to audit that program and it's like a disaster of fraud and all kinds of stuff. I'm like, again, be careful what you're, what you're emulating. Yeah, I hear you. I, I mean, I, like I said, I feel really good about where partnerships are going and the value they're bringing to everyone, right? Consumers, publishers, brands. Nobody's losing here. Uh, you know, it's great content. It's great it's not, awareness. It's not snake it's oil. It's not the new hottest thing. Like it almost, someone was saying it's a very equivalent <laughs> to like email and CRM. It seems like this email and CRM have worked for 20 years. As things get hot, everyone forgets about it. They move on. But like, I just, I've even looked at these businesses that make great amount of money and still sending, you know, using email as acquisition and retention. And, and, and it just, it's worked for a really long Time. It's just not super sexy. <laughs> um, and it's never, you know, had a total boom and a, and a total bust. So it's interesting how people get distracted by the new and shiny thing. And then they tend to go back to things that just work and are tried and true. And, you know, as we all saw, I mean, during during the initial outbreak of, of, of the pandemic and a lot of the shifts, I think more, more CEOs and exec teams actually started understanding the value of the channel. And it was the last budget to get cut because, I mean, no matter how much you're cutting your budget, you'll still pay 10 cents for a dollar uh, and, and pay that after the fact if it's worth it for you. Yeah, I think that fixed return on ad spend is comforting. And um, you know, when, you're, when you're just plugging a slot machine, pulling that arm, right? You're hoping it pays off. You're hoping it pays off. And, and one day it is and the next day it isn't. And you got to increase, you got to put more money in, right? And that's where I yeah. think partnerships have had that kind of steady, you know, it, it, there's that upfront investment, which I think a lot of companies underinvest in because they don't know what they don't know. They don't know they're going to get what they're going to get. And once they get it, it sustains. Well, hey, this has been a great conversation. I'd like to wrap this up with kind of asking you over your career and things that you've accomplished, who has really been a mentor or influential in, in your success? I've had a lot of great mentors. I think one of the more recent ones and still someone who coaches me on a regular basis is a gentleman named Warren Rustan, who's been CEO, leader, board member, 50 uh, companies, and is just really invested you know, the latter part of his career in helping build better uh, leaders. Someone who really sort of espouses the point of, of values-based leadership and understanding who you are and what you want and sort of making that the foundation of authentic leadership. And he's he's just been a great advisor, mentor, sounding board to me for six or seven years now. I was actually a, 
a five-day leadership program with him almost nine years ago that was just a huge inflection point uh, for me in my career. I think people, they always aspire to be better leaders and you you can always read a book or something, but having someone that can kind of steadily guide you because it's not, it's not as easy as one presentation or one seminar or one book to to, to really make it work across an organization. It's either a vicious or vicarious, you know, cycle in terms of, I think bad leaders spawning bad leader. I just, I've seen the damage, the personal damage that people who've worked under really poor, you know, leadership for years and stuff cost. And so I, I, I just think there's a huge opportunity in businesses for us to, you know, build better leaders and create more positive experiences. And, you know, businesses are, look, governments aren't getting anything done <laughs> these days. I think businesses are going to be a lot of the, force for change. And I, I, I think, you know, the better leaders we have in those businesses, the better outcome for all those employees too. Yeah. And I think, you know, most people don't quit a company, they quit their manager, right? It's their manager that's not yeah, join helping a company them or quit, supporting yeah. them. Well, thanks so much for sharing your thoughts. Um, it's always good to catch up with you and, uh, yeah, hopefully we'll have you on again as, uh, time goes on here, but, uh, continued success to you and acceleration partners and, Thanks, Doc. We'll see, we'll see you soon. See you at IPX. Having worked closely with Bob and Acceleration Partners for many years, it was great to have him on the show and learn what he's currently focused on. The glory days of paid ads and retargeting might be vanishing farther and farther into the rearview mirror. It's not that they are going away, but there are better channels out there for your marketing spend with a higher ROI. Bob also brought up a good point that brands need to let go of the reins a bit and let the community talk about your brand and product. If potential customers are getting a recommendation from someone they trust, they become more confident in their buying decision. It really comes down to authenticity. Right partners and influencers can bring your brand to their audience in a trusted way, something that advertisements are finding it harder and harder to do. Thanks for listening, and I look forward to next time. Thanks for listening to The Partnership Economy, brought to you by Impact.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe to the show and rate and review it on Apple Podcasts.